This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for June 10th, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. The message is by Father Ron Baird. I set the context for today's Gospel because we haven't been reading in Mark for quite some time. Um, just to give you a sense of where we had been and where this starts up with. Jesus has just been out healing people, and he's been healing on the Sabbath day, which is a Saturday. And Jews don't do things on the Sabbath day. We might not know that here because there are several branches of Judaism, but there there was only one, and um, and, and they still exist, and, and people um, in another branch that's similar to them. In fact, there's even a member of uh, the United States Senate who follows these rules. He, for instance, lives close enough to the Capitol building so that if there's a special session called on a, on a Sunday, he can walk because he doesn't drive on Sunday. So he walks to the Capitol building in those cases. And they don't cook on the Sabbath, so all the meals have to be prepared prior to sundown on Friday. Everything is focused on the day of rest, which is Saturday. And so Jesus goes out and he does what he's doing every day. He's preaching and he's healing and doing the same things. And in the midst of that, you have this wonderful story about the people. It says that they went and told his mother and brother, he's gone out of his mind. Now, why in the world would they say he's gone out of his mind? You know, we, we tend to think, well, what's the big deal? There are sick people there and he's helping them. I mean, wouldn't that be the right thing to do, but they think he's gone out of his mind. It was so bad, as a matter of fact, that his mother and brothers and sisters decided they better go get him <laughs> because he's going to get in big trouble. And so while they're there, I think she wants to preach probably. <laughs> She'd probably do better than me. But, um, but while they're there, um, while they're on their way there, in the meantime, some other scribes, Pharisees, you know, and Sadducees had come down to find out who is this itinerant preacher who's proclaiming these things. And, and as they get there, they, hear, they see that he's been healing people on the Sabbath day. And so what they say is, to him is, this man has Beelzebul. Y'all know who Beelzebul is? Yeah, but do you know what it means? The Lord of the Flies. Now, why would they say the Lord of the Flies? Yeah, have you ever seen a dead carcass on the side of the road? Flies swarm all over it. They love dead things. And that's what Satan wants, is a lot of dead things. And so they say, this man has Beelzebul. It's by his authority that he casts out demons. And that's the response where Jesus goes, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, if, if, if a kingdom is divided against itself in a civil war, it's not going to last very long. If that keeps up, if the house, you know, hold is fighting against itself, that won't last very long. And, and if Satan is divided against himself, how can he stand? And, and after all, Satan, what you're saying, he's the Lord of the flies, which means he's the Lord of death. And here I am making people better. Now, if Satan is the Lord of death, why in his name would I be making people better? That's contradictory. Makes no sense whatsoever. And then, because he knows that the real issue isn't whether or not he heal people, they don't care. The real issue is they want to point out that he's a sinner. 
and what he is doing is horrible. Now, it's horrible. Why? Well, it's horrible because it is disrespectful. You know, to them to disobey the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, I mean, that's one of the big ten after all, um, to do that is like taking a Bible and throwing it in the mud and stomping on it. You know, we'd be offended. I mean, it's just showing utter contempt in their mind for their faith and everything that they believe. And so they're denouncing him as being from the devil as a result of it. And the rest of the people think he's gone out of his mind. He's crazy. And yet, Jesus turns all of this around. And he says, you know, you can commit all kinds of sins and blasphemies and be forgiven. That's not really a big deal. God can permit everything. I mean, anything that you happen to do. There's only one thing that he cannot forgive you for, and that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And that one leads to eternal death. There isn't any coming back. So I know you're all sitting there wondering, gee, have I done that one? Because <laughs> it begs some questions. So what, what is it? What, what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? If, now, the good news, all of you take a deep sigh of relief, all that stuff you did a long time ago, you know, or even this morning, you can be forgiven for that. It's easy. God can forgive that, no problem. It's the blasphemy that God doesn't have the ability to forgive. So I went to the Greek to think, well, maybe I need to look at the root of this word. And, and you'll never believe what the Greek word for blasphemy is. Blasphemo. <laughs> I thought, that's real helpful. <laughs> Apparently there wasn't another way to translate it except to just transliterate it into English. So you really have to start looking at context about how it's used. And what it really means at its core is to have contempt for, to have contempt for the Holy Spirit. And it can mean to curse the Holy Spirit or to denounce Him or to reject Him. That, that's one way to have contempt. But it can also mean to not care, to ignore. Matter of fact, in many ways, it's, it's um, a more difficult thing um, to, to, um, to really not care than it is to denounce. And generally, when we denounce things, we're angry. But when we don't care, we just act like it isn't there. Don't know that the opposite of hate um, is, I mean, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. I don't even recognize your presence. I don't care. You're beneath me. Why would I notice you? Now, that's the utmost of contempt. And so you can have contempt by, you know, railing against God. And, and that's a really serious thing. I saw a show last night that was talking about uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare's son. You all remember Madeline Murray O'Hare? She's the woman who went to uh, the Supreme Court that had the law uh, of Oshawa. He couldn't pray in public schools um, back in the late 50s, early 60s. And uh, it's interesting because her son, who was the, the cause for the case, because he was one in the public schools, um, is now a Christian. And he thinks they ought to have prayer in public schools. So I just thought that was fascinating. But, but what was interesting about her was I doubt if she started out being actively contemptful. At first, she started out just by being sort of obnoxious and, and you know, 
disagreeing and being disagreeable. Um, but as the years went on, as she so lived into this and that her heart became hardened. And when her son became a Christian at age 33, do you know what she did? She said he was dead to her. She, she rejected her own son because he had um, disrespected her by becoming a Christian. That's how hard her heart had become, that she couldn't even allow any room for forgiveness to her own son as a result of that. And, and that kind of reviling and hatred, that's what it does to you. It hardens your heart. And it, you know, people say, well, can, can they ultimately change? And what I'd say is, well, I suppose. I mean, the judgment hasn't yet come, so I guess all things are possible, but it seems less and less likely that they would. Why would they? They, they wouldn't have any reason to. And some people say, well, what if they died and they met Jesus? They probably wouldn't like what he had to say either. <laughs> I mean, because all the things that he wanted, they're against. And and so they, they would reject him. But it, that's probably not most of your problem. He probably wouldn't be here if he were. And actually, it's not most of the world's problem. Most people aren't actively out trying to reject the Holy Spirit, unless you count the people who were doing the de-baptisms with a hairdryer at Everett Barn a couple of years ago. Which I've never quite figured out that one, because why would you have a ceremony to blow a hairdryer on somebody to unbaptize them if you didn't believe in anything that happened at the baptism? I've, it just seems odd. But I mean, it's sort of like anarchists who organize a protest. Because... <laughs> Because if you're anarchist, you can't really organize it, can you? I mean, you have to you have to get together to figure it out. But, um, and so there is a way to harden your heart very actively, but there's also a very passive way to do it, which I think most of us, most people are in more in danger of, and that's to be indifferent. Be indifferent to the Holy Spirit. So each one of us in our baptism is given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. But it becomes very easy to get caught up in everyday life, doesn't it? I mean, when you go to the grocery store, did it ever occur to you to ask the Holy Spirit, you know, what kind of toothpaste you should buy? Why not? Don't know? <laughs> Wouldn't want to bother, man. That's one. Another one is, um, well, God doesn't care about things like that. That's one I use a lot. Well, God wouldn't really, God doesn't really care about those things. And yet, it's interesting because when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, he said, I will send you an advocate. Now, what's an advocate do? Yeah, it speaks on your behalf, tries to, they're on your side, right? They got your back. But the, this advocate's going to do something very specific. Do you remember what that is? Well, what comes for that, though? Lead you into all truth. There are two parts of that. Lead is number one. Into all truth is another one. Now, my dog would very much like for me not to lead him. It would like for me to go, let him go to the pet store and pick out what things he wants. And I'm sure in his mind, I don't really care anyway. But that wouldn't work too well, would it? 
And yet, too often, that's exactly what we do with God, is we relegate him to, I'll let you know if I need you. If something big comes up I'm not sure about, then I'll talk to you. Is that not indifference? Now, let me ask you a question while we're talking about toothpaste. What happens if um, a certain brand of toothpaste happens to have some disease within it that somebody has put in there or it's grown on its own, and two weeks from now they're going to have a recall of it because it's killing people? And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, you don't want Crest, you want Colgate or whatever. But God doesn't care about that, does he? See the problem? It's all too often we think we know better than the Holy Spirit. And so we don't listen. And, and we end up being indifferent. And to be indifferent is to have contempt. Do you know what happens to you if you ignore a court summons? They come and get you, but they charge you with something when they come and get you too. Contempt of court. All I did was ignore it. I didn't think they care. Well, no, they care. They don't like being ignored. Now, if people don't like being ignored, why do we think God is fine with it? Sure, ignore me. I enjoy it. I mean, after all, you all have been ignoring me for thousands of years, and look how well everything's turned out. And you see the problem is that we, we don't spend our time actively looking for the Holy Spirit and asking the Holy Spirit, even in the little mundane things of life, much less the big things of life, what it is that we should do. And as a result, do you know what happens? We miss the signs. And we get off on the wrong path and we go the wrong way. So has anybody ever here been guilty of not Consulting with the Holy Spirit about something? <laughs> Does that mean we've all blasphemed and that's it? We're done? Well, no, because blasphemy involves more than that. Blasphemy is about a way of life. It's about an embracing of it. Now, I fear that we do that, too. We just never occurred to me that God would care. Well, maybe it ought to occur to us. Apparently, it cared enough to him in the Garden of Eden as to what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat. And apparently he cared enough in the lesson they asked Donna to read, which is from 1 Samuel, about how they would be governed. But the people said, no, we want a king like everybody else. And so they got one. Samuel said, well, you need to understand something. I mean, he's going to take 10% of everything you get. Now, little did they know that 3,000 years later, you wish they would only take 10% of everything you get. But <laughs> you know, he was just starting at the beginning. You know, It, it, it kind of grows. That's the way it always is with governments. I mean, it grows. And so, but no, they had to have one because it wasn't good enough just to let God be their king and to listen. They wanted a human being who could do it. And so they got what they wanted. And things became very, very bad. That's what happens to us when we don't listen to God, when we don't allow the Spirit to lead us into all truth is that we end up making the wrong decisions. So what is it that Jesus says you can commit all sorts of sins and blasphemies that you can be forgiven for? Because why would you do that if you were listening to the Holy Spirit? It would seem that it you know, is sort of the same thing as blasphemy, is it? except that it's not, because the difference is this. If you're on a trip and, and you miss the turn, and your wife says, you were supposed to turn back there, and you go, no, I wasn't. 
and you keep driving. What's happening? <laughs> that too, but <laughs> but more importantly, you're going the wrong way. I remember I was in Washington one time and I didn't have my GPS map updated. And I was riding and told me, turn right here, turn left there, turn right here. And I got on this ramp and I was on this expressway and there was the only way to go because I was following the directions it was telling me. And as I'm driving along, it says, turn around and at, at the exit in 200 yards. There's no exit to it. So it, it keeps telling this over and over again. And after about 10 minutes of this, it says, turn around. You are going the wrong way. And I'm like, I can't turn around. There's no place to get off. Bad when you start arguing with your car, isn't it? <laughs> but what happens is, is that when, when you go the wrong way, be it you know, physically in a car or be it by choosing the wrong things, you end up farther and farther from where the place is that God needs for you to be. And here's the difference between blasphemy and sin, just sin. His blasphemy are those of us who say, no. I know I'm going the wrong, right way. I'm going to keep going this way till I get there. That's blasphemy. Sin that can be forgiven is the one that says, oh my, I'm going the wrong way. I need to turn around and go back. Because you see, sin that's forgiven always has one element that's put into it, and that's called repentance. That's what repentance means, by the way. It doesn't mean put on sackcloth and ashes and beat yourself up. It means turn around. You're going the wrong way. And you're not going to get to where you want to go, where you need to go, by doing it that way. And so, if we're willing to turn around, that can be forgiven. But if we have to be right, then that cannot be forgiven. Because only God is right. And so, we live out our lives this way. You know, one of the most important elements of forgiveness is a simple word. I was wrong. Anybody here have those words choke when they start coming up in your throat? Is it hard to get out? I find that in in sort of a stereotypical way, I can't talk this morning, um, they're sort of, you know, the world could be divided into two people. There are those people who, no matter what they did, they didn't do anything wrong. It was somebody else's fault. You met them. And then there are the people who, no matter what happened, they always say they're sorry. Even if they had nothing to do with it, they're still sorry, you know. Both of them are not repentant. Neither of them are. Because you can't be repentant of something you didn't do. How are you going to turn around and go somewhere, go a different way if you are already going the right way? That wouldn't be smart. Or if you are going the wrong way, wouldn't it be better to turn around and say, wow, that's not going to work? And all too often when we look at the problems of the world, an awful lot of what we've gotten ourselves into is that we've made all sorts of wrong turns along the way and we don't even know the way back. Have you ever run a situation where it seemed like no matter what you did, it was a bad decision? That's why. Because you, you've made so many wrong turns that you're out in the middle of nowhere and to get back is not going to be pretty. Because getting there wasn't all that pretty. But if you ignore the Spirit and don't allow Him to lead you, you'll never get back. And you'll never end up there. And ultimately, you'll be dead. 
So what does this end up there that, that, that I'm talking about? Well, it's really pretty simple. It is God's kingdom. God created us to allow Him to be our Lord. He created us for a purpose. He knew why we were being created when He knit us together in, in our mother's womb. He already had that in mind. And the only question is, is whether or not we want to bother to talk to him about it, or are we going to go, no, I'll figure it out on my own, thanks. But the problem with it is, is that when we figure it out on our own, we don't do it right. And we see the consequences of that. And it would be very easy to end up so indifferent to God that we don't buy it. Has it occurred to you that when you get to heaven, one of the first things God may say to you is take off your clothes? Hmm? Hard to do if you're cremated. I mean, it's interesting, though, because uh, the kingdom of God in the end is supposed to be a restoration to the, the creation prior to the fall. And what kind of clothes did they have then? You know, when I was thinking about this earlier this week, I thought, first thing I'd ask is, can I get my new body first? Because I don't think I, <laughs> I, don't think I wanted people to see this one. But that's sin, isn't it? You know, and you say, well, so what do you all do for recreation here? We go to church. You go to church? Yeah, we go to church. What do you do when you're at church? Oh, we sing lots of hymns and we praise God and, and get together all day. And we just gather around them all the time. Well, what do you do when you don't, aren't going to church? What do you mean when you're not going? To, we always go to church. Well, isn't there a golf course? Mm-hmm. What about a mall? No. A beach? No. The only thing you do is going to church? Yeah. You know, think how easy it would be to say, I think I'll head to the other place. <laughs> and you see, that's the danger of going the wrong way all the time is that we become so used to what it is that it becomes our normal. We begin to think that's the way it's supposed to be. And even if we are confronted with, no, actually, that was never the way it was supposed to be, we wouldn't do it because we think it was unreasonable. So how do we get there? Well, it takes work. It takes practice. Because it's not about listening to a sermon or learning the right you know, way to read scripture or those things, although all those things might help you to get to this point. But it's really about being able to hear the Holy Spirit. Now, why would you need to hear the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, as we talked about. And do you remember who is truth? Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit will always lead us back to Jesus. That's why we call him Lord. Do you have a Lord who actually lords it over you? Or do you have a Lord that, you know, it's a nice title, but you don't pay much attention to him? That's really the question. Do you believe that God knows best who you should marry? Do you believe that God knows best what you should do on a daily basis in the little things, not just the big things, but the little things? Because quite honestly, if you can't trust him in what kind of toothpaste you're going to use, how in the world are you going to trust him with the big decisions? I mean, that'd be impossible, wouldn't it? And so we have to practice. Do you remember the first time you drove a car? I remember I was driving, the driver's ed teacher says, you might want to speed up a little bit. I said, are you kidding? I'm going so fast now I can hardly control the car. 
He said, you're only going like five or seven miles an hour. But it felt like I was flying down the road. And like most people, it wasn't too long before I could be driving 90 and not even be aware of it. Because it became normal. I mean, it got to be something that I was accustomed to. That, that just seemed like part of the routine that I do. And, and to the point where you could do it without paying the same kind of detail of attention. But you can't do that if you don't start by paying that kind of attention. And so what we need to do is to start every day 